Part 1, Chapter 5 of Lillian by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Part 1, Chapter 5 The Devotee. It was after she had made some tea and was taking it at her desk without milk, but with a bun and a half left over from the previous afternoon's orgy of the small room clerks, that Lillian had the idea of a mighty and scarcely conceivable transgression, crime, depredation. None of the machines in the small room was in quite first-rate order. The machines were good, but they needed adjustment. Miss G. The clerks referred to her as Miss G. instead of Miss Grigg, when they were critical of her, which was often, was almost certainly a just woman, but she was mean, especially in the matter of wages, and she would always postpone rather too long the summoning of a mechanic to overhaul the typewriters. Such delay was, of course, disadvantageous to the office, but Miss G. was like that. Lillian munching, inserted two sheets and a new carbon into her machine, and then pulled them out again with a swift swish. Why should she not abstract Miss G.'s own machine for the high purpose of tidying Lord Mackworth's brilliant article? It was nearly a new one. Miss G. was a first-rate typist. She typed all her own letters, and regularly at night even did copying, and she always had the star machine of the office. The one objection to Lillian's nefarious scheme was the fact that Miss G.'s machine ranked as the Ark of the Covenant, and the rule forbidding the profane to lay hand on it was absolute and awful. This rule was a necessity in the office, where every other machine amounted to an individuality, and was loved or hated and shamelessly intrigued for or against. Lillian knew a little of Miss G.'s machine, for on its purpose she had the honour of trying it and reinforcing Miss G.'s favourable judgment upon it her touch being lighter than Gertie Jackson's, that amiable, tedious hack, and similar to Miss G.'s touch. Lillian feared lest her own machine might give a slip towards the end of a page, throw a line out of the straight, and spoil the whole page. Miss G.'s machine was on the small desk beneath the window in the principal's room. Having reflected, she decided to sin. If Mr. Grigg was awake, she would tell him squarely that her own machine was out of gear, that all the clerks' machines were out of gear, and if he still objected, and he might, for he ever feared Miss G., she would bewitch him. She would put his own theory of her powers into practice upon himself. She would be quite unscrupulous, she would stop at nothing. She went forth excited on her raid. He was still asleep. He might waken. If he did, so much the worse. She must risk it. She regarded him with friendly condescension. She had work to do, she had a sense of responsibility, and she was doing the work. He, theoretically in charge of the office, slept, probably after a day chiefly idle, the grey-haired, charming, useless, irresponsible. And were not all men asleep rather absurd? She picked up the heavy machine. One of its india-rubber shoes dropped off, but she left that where it lay. There were plenty to replace it in her room. Soundlessly, she left the sleeper. Triumphant, unscrupulous, reckless, she did not care what might happen. At work on the article, exulting in the smooth excellence of Miss G.'s machine, she felt strangely happy. She liked Felix to be asleep. She liked the obscure sensation of fatigue at the back of her brain, amid a resting or roistering world. She liked the tension of concentrating on the work, the effort after perfection. The very machine itself, and the sounds of the machine, the feel of the paper, the faint hiss of the gas-stove, were all friendly and helpful. 
How different were her sensations, then, from her sensations in the pother and racket and friction of the daytime! She forgot that she was beautiful and born to enchant. She was oblivious of both the past and the future. A moral exultation, sweet and gentle, inspired, upheld and exhilarated her. She heard the outer door open. The threatened interruption annoyed her almost to exasperation. It was essential that she should not be interrupted, for she was like a poet in full flow of creation. Footsteps, someone moving hesitatingly to and fro in the ante-room. There was the word inquiries, painted in black on the glass panel of the small room, thrown into relief by the light within the room, and people had not the sense to see it. The public was really extraordinary. Even Lord Mackworth had not at first noticed it. Well, let whoever it might be find his way about unaided by her. She would not budge. If urgent work had arrived, she did not want it, could not do it, and would not have it. Then she caught voices. The visitor had got into the principal's room, and wakened Mr. Grigg. The voices were less audible now, but a conversation seemingly interminable was proceeding in the principal's room. The suspense vexed her, and interfered with the fine execution of her task. She sighed, tapped her foot, and made sounds of protest with her tongue against her upper teeth. At length both Mr. Grigg and the visitor emerged into the anteroom, still tirelessly gabbling. The visitor went, banging the outer door. Mr. Grigg came into her room with a manuscript in his hand. For any absorption, she did not look up. "'Here's something wanted for eleven in the morning. It's going to be called for proof of a witness's evidence in a law case. Very urgent. It's pretty long. You'd better get on to it at once. Then one or two of them would be able to finish it between nine and eleven. Lillian accused him in her mind of merely imitating his sister's method of organisation and partition. "'I'm afraid I can't put this aside, Mr. Grigg,' she said gravely, uncompromisingly. "'What is it?' "'It's just come in.' "'I never heard anybody,' Felix snapped. Lillian thought how queer and how unjust it was that she should be prevented by her inferior station from turning on him and bluntly informing him that he'd been asleep instead of managing the office. "'It's an article by Lord Mackworth for tomorrow's evening standard, and it has to be at the standard office by half-past eight, and I've promised to have it delivered at Jermyn Street by six-thirty. "'But who's going to deliver it?' "'I am as I go home.' Well, "'But this is urgent, too, and what's more, I've definitely promised it,' Mr. Grigg protested, waving his manuscript somewhat forlornly. "'What length's yours?' "'It's not the length. It has to be done with the greatest care.' "'Well, yes, that's all very well, but—' His attitude of helplessness touched her. She smiled in her serious manner. "'If you'll leave it to me to see to, Mr. Grigg,' she said soothingly, and yet a little superiorly, "'I'll do the best I can. I'll start it, anyhow.' and I'll leave an urgent note for Miss Jackson about it. After all, in two hours they ought to be able to do almost anything, and you know how reliable Miss Jackson is. Miss Grigg always relies on her. She held out her hand for the wretched manuscript. Mr. Grigg yielded it up, pretending unwillingness and uneasiness, but in reality much relieved. A quarter of an hour later he returned to her room in overcoat and hat. "'I think I may as well go home now,' said he, yawning enormously. "'I'm a bit anxious about my sister. "'Nothing else likely to come in, is there? "'You'll be all right, I suppose?' "'Me?' she exclaimed kindly. "'Of course, Mr. Grigg, I should be perfectly all right.' "'She wondered whether he really was anxious about his sister. "'At any rate, he had not the stamina to sit up through all the night in the office. "'But she, Lillian, had. "'She was delighted to be alone again. "'She finished Lord Mackworth's article, 
read it and re-read it. Not a mistake. She bound it and stitched it. She entered the item in the notebook. She made out the bill. She typed the address on the envelope. Then, before fastening the envelope, she read through everything again. All these things she did with the greatest deliberation and a nicety. At the end she had ample time to make a start on the other work, but she could not, or would not, bring herself to the new task. She was content to write a note for Gertie Jackson, shifting all the responsibility on to Gertie. Gertie would have to fly round and make the others fly round. And if the work was late? What then? Lillian didn't care. Her conscience seemed to have exhausted itself. She sat in a blissful trance. She recalled with satisfaction that she said nothing to Felix about Lord Mackworth having called in person. She rose and wandered about the rooms, savouring the silent solitude. The telephone was in the principal's room. How awkward that might have been if Felix had stayed. But he had not stayed. End of Part 1 Chapter 5